So Lord, that is our prayer, that Jesus, you would come and you would take your place, which is a throne of loving authority and kind power. That's the Jesus we would know this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat and do please find Hebrews chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, I think we haven't got any spare Bibles this morning. I don't know where they've gone. I don't know where they've gone. I apologise for that, but you won't need it because I'll read everything that we're going to look at. But if you do have a Bible or you've got a screen, then it's Hebrews chapter 1. If you are in one of these uh, turquoise church Bibles, it's page 12, uh, 1201, 1201, 1201, Hebrews chapter 1. Now this letter, or we call it a letter, uh, called Hebrews, we actually know uh, relatively little about. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly the original recipients. We don't know exactly the time and the context. It's probably not a letter in a traditional sense. It's almost certainly a sermon, a preach, that was so significant, someone wrote it down and it's been kept timeless in the Bible. It's a sermon transcript, basically, a speech that has been transcribed and put into the Bible. It's the only one of its kind in that sense. What is most clear about it, though, in all the mysteries and the uncertainties, is what its message is. And over the next 18 months, we're going to learn that Jesus is better. That's basically the summary of the whole of this 13-odd chapters, that Jesus is better. And I was thinking about that. If it takes us 18 months, just think for a moment, 18 months to get through Hebrews, what's going to happen to your life in 18 months? What do the next 18 months hold for you? Um, uh, I said this morning some of us might have some babies. I guess it's possible, but just looking around, I'm not sure who that might be. But so, there, there, it is possible. It is possible some might have some babies, definitely. It's, it's possible some might meet the love of our lives and get married. You haven't even met him yet, met her yet. And they're just around the corner. In 18 months' time, there you are, going to be a happy, lovely couple. Some of us are going to face some pretty distressing, grief-causing, hard times. There's going to be tears. We're living that right now, some of us, some tears. 18 months, a lot can happen, can't it? And yet I know, I know from experience that 18 months journeying through Hebrews, even though we decide it now, guaranteed, when you're at that high, when you're at that low, when you're at that life moment and you're sitting here, God is going to speak to you about Jesus being better. In 12 months' time, when you've got that awesome promotion and you're in the job you always long for, you're going to sit here and we're going to be on a passage that will tell you Jesus is better even than that. That's good. Jeremiah 29, 11, God calling. That's what that is. <laughs> right there, right there, right there. Yeah? But Jesus is better in every way, shape or form. And, and here in Hebrews, it's Jesus is better in chapter 1, he's better than angels. In chapter 3, Jesus' rescue is better. In chapter 4, the rest that Jesus brings into life is better. In chapters 5 to 8, the big middle section, it's Jesus is a better high priest. That's like a mediator or advocate between God and us. Jesus is better at that than anyone else. The promise of Jesus in chapter 6 is better. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is better. Chapter Chapters 9 and 10. Faith in Jesus is better, chapter 11. Jesus is better, is better, is better, is better, is better. And interestingly, I just want to put it in a picture for you for a moment. Interestingly, the picture that the writer of Hebrews uses, he borrows an ancient image of Israel in the desert. So if you are familiar with your Bible, not all of us are, which is fine, but if you are, you might know the story that's called Exodus, where the nation of Israel were in Egypt. They were kind of enslaved a little bit. They had a reasonably good life, but it was hard work. And then Moses comes and rescues them and they're, they're, they're in the wilderness, in a desert, on a great journey. They've left Egypt 
And they're in a harder place of the wilderness, waiting to get to the promised land, the good place. And what happens in that story, you can read about it in a book called Exodus, is as they're, as they're walking through the wilderness, the future is still in front of them, because the future always is, isn't it? And so they're starting to go, this wilderness life is tough. Should we go back? Should we go back? Egypt wasn't perfect, I know that, but at least we had food and a reputation and a career and a job. It wasn't quite as tough as this wilderness. Surely going back is easier than going forward. And I think lots of us know of that kind of experience, that actually some of us in this room have been Christians for quite a long time, and we know what it is to start to look back to the days before we followed Jesus and say there are aspects of life that were easier then. Or you look across to someone else who's very like you, but they're not following Jesus, and you look at their life and you go, do you know, they have more say over their money, don't they? And they don't get the little giggles from family members about being a Christian, do they? Maybe I'll just sidestep into their life. I'll leave Jesus there. I'll just sidestep away from him where it's a bit safer. Some of us this morning aren't yet Christians. And so what we're looking at what a Christian life will look like, and we're looking forward and we're hesitant. We're saying, really? Is Jesus better? Is Jesus really better? Over the next 18 months, we're going to be persuaded and convinced that Jesus is better than all those things. He's better than the relationship you don't have because you're following Jesus. He's better than the money you don't have because you're following Jesus. He's better than the reputation you don't have because you're following Jesus. Jesus is better. 18 months, and I'll persuade you from this in every single way, Jesus is absolutely better. That's why chapter 3, verse 1, would you just look at it for a moment? We're going to come back in a minute to our opening paragraph, but chapter 3 and sentence 1, that's why he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in this heavenly calling, this future reality, fix now your minds on Jesus and acknowledge him as the great apostle and high priest, the great leader of your life. Fix your eyes now on Jesus and keep going forward. Don't go back. Don't go sideways. Keep going forward. Jesus is better. He will get you there. The wilderness won't last forever. So this opening paragraph then, if you flip back, what's this opening paragraph about? Well, the opening paragraph, sentences one to three, that's all we're going to look at this morning, is about how Jesus is the better way to hear from God. That actually, if you want to hear from God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to know who God is and God to know you, the better way to do that, the best way to do that is Jesus. Jesus is a better way to hear from God. And when we're in Nepal, let me give you a brain break for a moment and just illustrate where we're going. When uh, we're up in Gimdi, Isaac and I had to go for a fairly decent hike to get somewhere, about eight miles we had to go. Uh, Isaac did very well, nine years old. He did very well, 41 degrees centigrade. He did very, very well. Um, But we did about the first couple of miles, and it was steep. We're sweating, or I'm sweating, Isaac's glowing. Naraj is like, not even got a a glow on, like, you know, born and bred there, isn't he? And we got to the peak, and you've ever done it, when you get to the peak, you think, I'm there, I'm there, and as you get over it, there's another one. Have you done that? Slightly hidden before. Some of our army guys, I know this is a training thing. They take you deliberately to hills like this, don't they? Yeah, yeah, see if you've got the guts to keep going, yeah? And so we're like, oh, there's another one. I'm like, Isaac, don't worry. This will be the last one. Fatal last words. (laughs) Get over the second one. There's another one. Basically, that's where we're going. Not with the sweat and all that kind of stuff. But basically, we've got three peaks that we're going to look at this morning. Peak number one is that God speaks. 
God is a speaking God. Let me read these couple of sentences and see if you can spot it in there. So this is Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. This is what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Did you notice that God speaks? It's easy to miss because it's so obvious. Verse one, God spoke to our ancestors. He's a speaking God in the past. Sentence two, God speaks now through his son. He's a speaking God now. Verse three, the word of his power, the word. He's a speaking God. In fact, it's way more than that, friends. Everything God starts, he starts through speaking. It's his words that initiate everything. Have you realized that? It's his words which will initiate real faith in your life this morning, if that's what you're after. His words initiate everything. Do you remember how God created the universe and the world and everything that is in Genesis 1? How does that begin? And God said, God speaks, and the universe is created. How did God create the first family of his people when he, uh, with Abraham? What did God do? He spoke a promise to Abraham. I will bless you. He spoke, and suddenly Abraham had a multitude of children. It's kind of what happened to me. I became a Christian, and children just, bang, there they were, just like that. Hannah doesn't tell it quite like that, but that's kind of how it happened from my perspective, yeah? God speaks, and things start. How did God create Israel, his first nation, from family by Abraham to a, a nation? He spoke. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the rules for a nation, and a nation was birthed. How did God come into our world, the beginning of John's Gospel? Jesus came as the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh. How was the church birthed? in Acts chapter 2, what we call Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was given and what happened? What did Peter do? He spoke and the church was born. How does Jesus return and reclaim the world as his own? He does it by speaking. In Revelation, we're told Jesus rides into his world on a battle stallion, clad as a general of an army with a broadsword. But where is the broadsword in that imagery? Does anyone know? Revelation chapter 19. His mouth. The sword comes out of his mouth. His word is his weaponry to reclaim his world. God is a speaking God. He is a speaking God and he wants to be known. In that sense, God is not like that highly trained elite marine sniper who is hidden, silent and hidden in the undergrowth. Present, but invisible and silent. That is not God. God instead is like the two-year-old who loves to play hide-and-seek. And before you've even got to the end of uh, Ready or Not, Here I Come, they've leapt out and said, Here I am, Daddy! Here I am! Find me! Find me! Yes? Yeah? That's what God is like, if that's not too flippant. He's not hidden, present, but not knowable, not seeable, like a sniper. He's like a toddler. He makes himself known. One thing I know about two- and three-year-olds is they make themselves known, don't they? You know they are there. So it is with God. He loves to speak. He is a speaking God. Some of us know Pam and Duncan, don't we? Pam and Duncan Leak, don't we? Uh, there are a couple in the church. Pam told me the other day that her claim to fame is her niece, because her niece holds a Guinness Book World Record for having the loudest recorded shout. Yeah, apparently the same decibel level as a Boeing 747 engine at takeoff. I mean, that must be loud, mustn't it? She's a primary school teacher in Wales, apparently. Can you imagine being in her class? Well, God's desire to be heard is greater than that lady's ability to shout. He is a speaking God. 
What that means as an application, you see, is there is no deficiency in God's voice, but there can be a deficiency in our hearing. The problem is not that God is not speaking. It's are we listening? Are we listening? Look at chapter 2, verse 1 with me for a moment, would you? Chapter 2, sentence 1. This is what he says as he picks up on this. He says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we don't drift away. God is speaking, friends. In fact, as we come to an end of the service, in not yet, don't worry, but as we, when we do, I'm going to create some space for you perhaps to talk to someone. Either you've come with them or you know them if you feel able to. And say, what has God been saying to you that you've not been hearing? Pay careful attention to hear what God is saying. He is speaking. What interests me, you see, is the teacher here, the theologian who writes this, the teacher becomes a medic. Having said our ears are deaf, we're not hearing, what he then does is, is diagnose the underlying cause. And it's very interesting. If you've got your Bible, just flick again with me, please do, to chapter 3 and sentence 7. See the underlying cause of our deafness. Chapter C, verse 7. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or sentence 12 of chapter 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Or verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The reason we are deaf is not that we can't hear, but we won't hear. The problem is our hearts, not our, our hearing apparatus. We can hear perfectly well. We choose to not want to hear what God is saying. Hearts here means our decision-making, our choices. We don't want to do what God is saying, so we pretend we don't hear it. Let me illustrate it like this. Uh, well, I grew up with a dog called Toby. Toby was the stupidest, thickest, most lovable golden Labrador you could imagine. Do some of you remember those old toilet roll adverts? Do you remember the toilet roll adverts with the puppies? Yeah, some of you do, showing your age. I just, only just do I remember them, yeah? He was from the original litter of these, these puppies, a beautiful Labrador, yeah? thick as anything. But we used to joke that he had very selective hearing. Because if he was sitting on the sofa where he wasn't meant to be, and you told him to get down, he mysteriously couldn't hear that until you got really close and yelled it at him. If it was pouring down with rain and you wanted him to go out in the garden, he mysteriously couldn't hear that unless you grabbed his collar and physically dragged him out. But if there was the slightest rustle of his treat bag from the other side of the house, through two closed doors, with the TV blaring, he had like spider-sense hearing and would run down to you ready to receive his treat. Selective hearing. The problem was not with his ears, was it? The problem was with his heart. He heard it all. He selected to choose what he heard. That's exactly what this guy is doing here who writes Hebrews. He becomes a medic and diagnoses our deafness. It's not a problem with God speaking. God is speaking. It's not a problem actually with our hearing. We do hear. It's a problem with our hearts. We only hear the things we want to hear. So perhaps we hear loud and clearly that God loves us abundantly and aboundingly and unendingly. But we don't hear that he calls us to love other people with an equal extravagance and generosity, and even those who don't like us and even hate us. Or perhaps we hear quite clearly that God loves to be generous and gives things into our lives to bless us. But we don't hear as clearly that he calls us to be equally generous and give what we have away to those around us. 
It's selective hearing, isn't it? It's not a problem with God speaking. It's not actually a problem with us hearing. It's a problem with our hearts. Hill number two, and we've done the hard work now. So the second and third points are less strenuous. So number one, God speaks. Are you listening? Number two, God spoke then in the past via the prophets. Look at sentence one. We'll only spend a minute on this sentence. Look at sentence one. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So when he uses the word prophet there, that's code word for the writers of what we call the Old Testament. The older part of the Bible, the bit that's before Jesus, was written by people collectively called prophets. And he's saying in the past, God spoke to people through these prophets. He did it over many, uh, over many times, 3,000 years actually he was doing it, many, many times. He did it in various ways, sometimes through dreams, sometimes through words, sometimes through actions, sometimes through events. God spoke through the prophets and we have it recorded in the Old Testament. The application there is easy. Let's rediscover an excitement for the older part of the Bible. Let's expect to hear God there. God spoke through these people. He's still speaking through them now. Let's love the Old Testament as best we can. Let's work at understanding it. God is speaking there. Third hill. Done one, God speaks. Done the second one, God spoke in the past by the prophets. Here's the third one. God speaks today and always, most fully, most finally, in his son, Jesus. God speaks through Jesus, and that is the best, the better way to hear from God. Look at sentence two. But in these last days, i.e. this period of history, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through also he made the universe. This son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Do you see, he's saying in this period of history, this final period of history and forever onwards, God now speaks through Jesus, his son. No longer through many people, but through one person, Jesus. Not over many times, but through one time, Jesus. And Jesus recorded here in the Bible. God speaks through Jesus. That's how you know God. That's how you know God. Accessible and available to everyone. And then he lists seven ways. Now, don't worry, I'm not, I haven't got seven more points now. Fortunately, each one of these seven ways in sentences two and three are unpacked in a load more detail over the rest of Hebrews. But he makes seven statements about how God is speaking through Jesus. Let me just run through them so you see them there. The first one, sentence two, because Jesus is the heir of all things. He inherits everything from God, becomes Jesus. Jesus is. He's speaking through Jesus through that. Secondly, uh, in the way that he made the universe, verse two, Jesus is the one who made everything that exists. Sentence three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. He rains down God's glory. If you want to know God's glory, look at Jesus. He's radiating it out. Next one, verse three, the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of God. You don't need to go anywhere else to see God other than Jesus. Next one, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Not only did he create the world, but he sustains and maintains the world. He provided purification for sins. That sounds very religious, doesn't it? Let me give you one last brain break. I was walking the dog this morning on Doxy Marshes uh, in the centre of Stafford there. So we were just, we were just kind of cross-countrying it across the marshes, knee-deep in mud and gloop and stuff. We are about a mile and a half off the path, like mile and a half from any path, any road, knee deep in rushes, covered in gunk, middle of nowhere, 
go over a little, little hillock and there's a washing machine just there in the middle of Doxy Marshes, a washing machine just there. I'm like a hot point washing machine just in the middle of the marshes. What's it doing there? But it reminded me of this little phrase, purification of sins, because what it means is being washed clean, doesn't it? That's what that means. It means Jesus, God has spoken to us in Jesus by saying, I'm going to wash you totally clean of every stain, of every grime, of every sin you've done, of everything done against you, of the shame you feel, of the guilt you feel, of what that lad did to you. It's washed away. It's washed away. I took a photo of that washing machine. I have no idea why, but it's on my phone. Washed away. Like that. eBay. Yeah, only if they collect. (laughs) And then lastly... He's the reigning king. Very end of sentence three. Sat down at the right hand. Jesus has sat down next to God. Not because he's tired. He's not sat down like I sit down at the end of the day, exhausted and want my feet up. He sat down because there's no more work to do. He's finished it all. There's nothing left. He sat down and he's finished. So let me summarize this morning and then I want to give you a bit of space just to think and maybe talk to someone who's with you. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter where you are on a spiritual scale. There's just space this morning to engage with your life and to engage with Jesus. Number one, God speaks. He really, really does. He wants to make himself known. He is not like that sniper, present but hidden. That is not God. He is like a toddler leaping out saying, here I am, here I am. He's a speaking God. He spoke initially through prophets that wrote the Old Testament. Thrilling for us to be able to read all about what God is saying in the Old Testament. But he speaks now and forever through Jesus. Clearly, finally, fully, wonderfully. The question is, are you listening? Are you hearing the broad and great promises that Jesus makes? He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, whatever life brings. He says, all who come to me, all who come to me and believe will be saved. He says, if you are thirsty, I am the living water. If you are hungry, I am the bread of life. Are you hearing Jesus say that? But also, are there things specific to you? Are you in a relationship that Jesus has been calling you out of for a long time and you're hearing but not hearing? Are you struggling with a child you're parenting or a child you don't have and wish you did have and not hearing his loving comfort and embrace as it comes to you? Has he been calling you to a great adventure that's going to take sacrifice and generosity And you're just turning away from that voice because of the comfort you don't want to lose. Are you listening to the broad and great promises to us all and to the specific Holy Spirit voice for you? Let's have a moment's quiet and I'll pray. And then I'm going to invite you to talk to someone about what Jesus might be saying to you. If you're married or in a couple here as partners, Talk to each other. That's a good thing, by the way, as an aside, for married couples to do, is talk to each other. Shock, I know. If you're not, did you come with a friend? Is there someone just across the room you spoke to earlier? Well, just sit quietly if you want. That's fine as well. But Talk through. What is it that Jesus is saying to you? Maybe has been saying for a long time, and it's time you listened.
Have a moment's quiet before I pray.